Hey everyone, it's Erica and Christian Raphael, and we'd like to welcome you to our backpack, the podcast where we give you the tools to support your personal and professional journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of our backpack. Woo, 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 ooh, yeah. Thanks, Christian, for that awesome intro music. We are super excited to be with you here for another week. Um, Christian and I were just talking about, you know, we've been doing this for almost a year now, and we're still as excited as we were on day one. And I thought you were going to say something. (laughs) No, I was just going to say it it feels weird and weird in the sense that it hasn't even been a year yet, and yet we've done so much. And so... It's funny how like time can go by and how much the impact we have on one another's life can seem like, oh, that seemed like yesterday or it seems ages ago. So it's very interesting. Yeah. And I don't know, like just working on our personal projects and like championing ourselves this year and late last year has been bringing me a lot of joy. And so the question of the week is, how have you been choosing joy lately? That's how have I been choosing joy? I think for me, what I, how I've been choosing joy is saying no to things. (laughs) It it sounds weird, like, like just saying no to things. But I think when you say no to the things that don't bring you joy, you make room for the things that you should be saying yes for. Right. So I think of what brings me joy, for example, is defend, like making sure I'm checking my milestones professionally. So I had to defend my dissertation proposal and I did it. And yes, yes Dr. Swero, almost there. And so I think when, for me, I've been able to start saying no to things with more intentionality. Not like I was saying no to everything before, but I used to say yes to everything. And now saying no to things has made time for me to invest in things I care about. So that's me. Start saying no to things that won't impact me for the short-term or long-term goals. I love that. I think for me, I've been going outside more. I love when it starts warming up and the sun starts setting later. It brings me a lot of joy. Um, Yes. Yes. Joy. Last week, Friday, um, I took my meetings with me and I went on a walk. Um, I went to see an apartment, but then I also went to one of my favorite areas of DC, picked up dinner, walked around for a little bit, smiled at people in the street through my mask. You know, <laughs> <laughs> smile with the eyes, smiled with the eyes, said hello to a few people. It's nice to some strangers. And that just made me so happy. I'm super excited for the summertime coming up you know, just to go outside. And it was windy that day. So it was like breezy. The sun was shining. I was like, wow, this is what I've been missing. And so I'm looking forward to five more months of that. So I'm choosing joy by going outside. Yes. Nature is important. It helps like just being outside makes us feel re-energized, but there are other things that can re-energize us like supervisors, right, Erica? (laughs) Yes. A good supervisor. (laughs) And that brings up to (laughs) us. That brings us to our topic for the week, which is great supervisors are not superheroes. They're human. Um, And this is a topic that Christian and I speak um, to each other often about, but we've also touched on this a little bit um, in our podcast prior to this, but we wanted to go into a little bit more detail about what makes a good supervisor. And for us, we had about five main things. We said that a good supervisor is communicative, meaning um, 
they share information down, but they also share information up, especially if they're in mid-level management like Christian and I are. Um, they're open to new ideas because a part of building a team is trusting your team's expertise and trusting their knowledge set. Like we hired you for a reason. And so we want to hear what new ideas you're bringing, especially if you're coming from different institutions when you work in higher ed. Um, they also see supervision holistically. So as your supervisor, I'm not just looking at you for what you do for me and for the department um, professionally, but I'm also interested in you and invested in you as a human. Like, how's your day going? How's your family doing? What hurdles can I help you overcome in your personal life today? A good supervisor. A good supervisor also leads by example. Um, I don't just tell you what to do. I also do what I'm set out to do, but I also do what I tell you to do. So if I'm asking you to communicate, if I'm asking you to come with ideas, if I'm asking you to pick up extra work, I'll also be doing those things too, because I don't just lead. I'm also an active participant on the team. Also, a good supervisor values working as a team. Right. And that means I value sharing tasks. I value sharing work, but I also value like getting input from other people. I value what other people have to say. And I like working in the team environment. I personally hate working alone. <laughs> um, it's no fun. I like being in rooms and being able to bounce ideas off other people and being able to collaborate in order to bring visions um, to life. So that's really fun for me. And I think when we're thinking about a good supervisor, a good supervisor also knows what their supervision approach is because everyone supervises differently. Agreed and echo and and I think there I think there's sometimes this misconception that there is a formula for how everyone should be supervised or like what is someone's supervision approach and I think it really depends on the person I will say like with everything that Erica shared about what makes a good supervisor I would say it is those six things have good communication be open to new ideas, see your supervisees holistically as people and as professional, lead by example and value working as a team. And once you have those things as a foundation, then you can spice it up, right? Like when you think of baking a cake, there is a recipe for making a cake, but how you decorate it looks, could look different based on the person, right? So I think when you're thinking about supervision, what is your approach? Once you have that foundation, what are you going to add as extra toppings that identify you as the supervisor in terms of this is your method? So one thing I do, um, and I, I, I make time and share this with all my teams, is like I am a supervisor that dedicates my time for professional development. And I don't say that as like the glossy, like, oh, we all care about professional development or we should. No, I call it 30-30. 30 minutes about the job, 30 minutes about where you're trying to go in life. And that's how I do my supervision approach. And everyone who's been supervised by me knows that. Because for me, super professional development, if we are not making time for it in the workplace, then I don't know how people are holding themselves accountable to it. So for me, that is my supervision approach. It's having that level of professional development conversation in my, what I call 30-30s and making sure I'm doing resumes one session, one week, then doing cover letters, then glossing up people's LinkedIn, then do, making sure they're identifying people for informational interviews. And it's a whole experience. Um, but that may not be everyone's approach. Not everyone may say, I want to focus on professional development. There may be individuals who say, you know what, I want to focus my supervision style approach on diversity, equity, inclusion, as they all should have a core in that, right? Because that's important. Um, yeah. But there might be someone who really wants to make sure their teams are 
aware about the social inequities in the world. And so that's one example. Um, another example could be um, higher ed as in student affairs as a field, right? Bringing in articles or lectures or videos to talk about the current trends in higher education. So I think when you're thinking about your supervision approach, think about it as you have, if you have the foundation down in your recipe for your cake, what are the things you're adding to that to make it its own cake and its own beautiful piece of work? Yeah. I think for like my supervision approach, I'm definitely a hands-off supervisor. I should be more hands-on. Well, I'm trying to find like that balance because I usually start off my supervision meetings by just asking people how they're doing, trying to catch up on their lives and then going over the projects that we have. Um, So I think like one of the things I'm going to add to that and like just hearing what ideas they have and things they want to bring to life and giving them the go ahead to do that and asking them how I could do more support so they can get their ideas out there. Um, And I know that in the creative space that maybe supervision might look a little bit different, um, but I do want to find ways to add more professional development into these spaces and um, give more opportunities as I see them come up, like maybe students want to participate in. So that's one of the ways I want to add to my supervision style. Thank you for sharing, Erica. Yeah, and I'm I'm very curious to hear from our listeners, you know, has their supervision style like approach, has it changed over time, right? Um, I don't, I don't, again, I don't think people wake up one day like, oh, this is my supervision approach, unless you've been doing it for a while. I didn't know I was doing professional development until my supervisor was telling me like, oh, you're doing professional development in your spaces. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sounds good. And then I actually started researching and understanding what I was doing. I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Um, and I think in, in this topic for today, we're talking about super supervisors. And I think it's important to acknowledge that you may have someone who has all the great foundations of a great supervisor. They may have their own unique approach, but what are the types of supervisors you may encounter? Because trust me, working in higher education student affairs, in one year, you may go through five supervisors. That is real. It has happened to us. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, it's important to understand what are the types of supervisors that you may encounter and when thinking of this topic, Erica and I really thought of three different buckets. Um, you have your micromanagers, you have your MIA managers, and then you have your mid-managers. And so when we're looking at our micromanagers, I'm sure people, and I think what's sad is that sometimes micromanagers have a negative connotation to that way of supervision, because I think a lot of people experience the bad part of bad of micromanagers, but some micromanagers are really good. Um, but some things that you may experience when working with a micromanager is that they want to be included in everything. So that means, yes, please CC them on that email you sent to parents, family, friends, or et cetera in the workplace. Um, this person will often show up on time or early, um, as a micromanager, making sure that punctuality is a thing. And that's something I think we have seen and experienced that someone who, I hate saying the word controlling, but that could be perceived as controlling, also wants to be in spaces on time and likes to represent their team. Um, And this kind of goes into the next part where with micromanagers, it's not only knowing exactly what you as an employee are doing, but it's also like the when and the why, right? So if you said that you're going to submit something, when are you going to submit it? And and the why behind either the assignment or, or why you're submitting it at that date and time. 
Um, I will also say that for micromanagers, they like structure. Um, whether it's them being the structure themselves, micromanagers oftentimes find find a space of thriving under understanding that everything has a process to it. Um, and I think what this goes back to like the negative connotation of micromanagers is that sometimes they may see the work or professional life to be greater than the one's own personal life, right? So like when I'm doing works and assignments and life just happens, it's understanding, okay, life is happening. I respect that. I understand that. But are you, when are you going to submit your deliverables? Because these things still need to get pushed. And when we're looking at autonomy, it can sometimes feel very low, depending on your, micro, on your supervisor, if they're a micromanager, to feel empowered in a space. So micromanagers are one thing. And again, these, were, these are, I hate saying overarching buckets, but this does not define a person, right? I think we're just trying to do a quick illustration of these three types of managers, but knowing that people are fluid, people have different traits and skill sets, and it might show up differently, but this is one of the buckets, which is micromanagers. Erica, anything that you want to add to micromanagers from your experience? No, I think you summed it up really well. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Erica. So the second one, talk about dichotomies. We're, we're, so we're talking about a micromanager. So someone who likes to be in the process all the time. There are the MIA managers. MIA stands for missing in action. And yes, these people do exist. And yes, these people do get promoted. So when it comes to the MIA manager, this is the person who I want you to think about who never reads their email, that they can acknowledge that they probably got it, but you know, things are happening. They just haven't read it. Um, this person also may show up late often, if not always to meeting spaces. And that might be just due to the struggles to balancing different commitments and responsibilities. They will oftentimes ask you to lead projects because they wanna empower you in the workspace. But then what may feel kind of challenging is that when it comes to structure, it's very open almost too open to where it's a detriment to the employee. So there's a difference from having too much structure and then too much um, autonomy or too much, how do I say, like the windows open so anything can fly through it type of approach. Um, They may see the personal life weighing a lot more than the professional life. And when it comes to autonomy as an employee, it feels very high. So with an MIA manager, they're missing in action. So you will probably have the most freedom in the space when it comes to managing processes or experiences in the workplace. And again, a few MIA managers, <laughs> right? And it's kind of like also shaped my uh, management style because while I, I did like miss out on feeling that like structure, I know one of the reasons why they didn't provide it was because they were so stretched thin that it was hard for them to keep up on everything. So it was, I'm going to trust that you're going to get your work done because you're getting your work done. Right. But when I needed to find them, it was like, Hey, are you there? (laughs) Or like repeatedly sending out emails and looking for people trying to find them. And so that was also part of the balance. Like you're overworked and you're overstretched. And so it was me often being like, Hey, are you free at this time? And the constant moving of like one-on-ones. And I find myself doing that with the people that I supervise too. And I have to remind myself, there has to be some structure and balance where every week at this time, we're going to figure that out rather than consistently moving it. (laughs) Something I'm also trying to work on. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I hear that. And I think what happens too is um, when we're looking at the word dichotomy, so like opposites, it's very easy to fall on either side of the spectrum here, right? Like either you're being too controlling or you're not controlling anything at all. And so um, where's the balance? And I think that's a good mid-manager, right? So when you're looking yeah. at a when you're looking at a mid-manager, here are some examples um, similar to a MIA manager and a micromanager that we were just discussing. They will read your email and they will follow up accordingly. So if it's a response needed, they will respond. If they need clarification, they will reach out for clarification, but they will read your email and follow up with you if they need to. Additionally, they it's when it comes to checks and balances and they create that for accountability, right? So using the analogy, I think I used for MIA manager, where like the window's wide open, so anything can go right on through. Um, let's create some checks and balances in terms of, okay, you have your autonomy, you have your agency to do what you want. Let's create deadlines. Let's create checkpoints and ensure that there is this sense of balance between autonomy and governance, right? Because autonomy isn't doing whatever you want to do. It's doing things in relation to your work and giving you the freedom to do it, but everything should have a purpose and connect back to a why within the structure and the organization. I think also too, when it comes to a mid-manager is someone who embraces and supports difference, right? Um, that's something that yeah. we didn't we didn't talk about in the two other ones. But when I'm thinking of a, a, of a mid-manager, it's someone who is open to different ideas. And when it comes to the personal and professional life, I see the mid-manager is a balance. Um, keyword, the mid part um, <laughs> in that phrasing. It, because life and work, will always be at odds with one another, right? And, and there will be times where personal needs to step in before work and work will step in before personal, but it's someone who can respect both worlds and help balance those two things out respectfully and professionally. And then again, reminder autonomy, it's it's in the middle, right? It's, it's being able to balance what is autonomy and freedom and not doing whatever you wanna do, but then not feeling like you can't do anything, making sure that whatever you do do, uh, does connect back to the world of your organization. And so you don't need to be, if you are a micromanager, if you are a mid-manager, or if you are an MIA manager, some of these things might be resonating with you. That is okay. Um, some of these things might, as a supervisor, may frustrate you about your manager. That is okay. It's understanding, at least with these three brief and general buckets, where do you see yourself in terms of autonomy, structure, reading emails and organization and understand, is this what I should be doing and should not be doing? Yeah. And I think like, it's just important to know, like you said, these supervision styles are fluid and, you know, they change depending on the position you are in and what's going on in your personal life and like where you are in your professional life. Um, and I think it's just like always taking the time to like be a better supervisor and give yourself professional development in that area because recognizing that as a supervisor you are leading a group of people and they're looking to you for organization and to know how to step forward to make sure they have a positive impact on the department um, and I also just think part of it is just recognizing the lights and the shadows of like each position and just being honest about yourself like where you fall wherever you fall so that you know like this is something that's going great, but how do I also recognize the shadows of the way that I'm performing and do better by my team and also my organization? 
And I think part of like recognizing those lights and shadows is just seeing yourself as a human, because as a leader, you are a human. And part of that means being willing to let your team see you make mistakes, but also be willing to admit to yourself that you can make mistakes in this position and that perfection isn't required to be a leader or a supervisor, right? You just have to be human and be willing to grow and learn in the position. Um, also, ask for feedback from your team to show you value their insight and trust their knowledge in an area, right? And part of that is being vulnerable. And you can be vulnerable and be professional. <laughs> they're sharing and then there's oversharing. <laughs> and then there's doing the most. Um, but it's okay to share with your team and also let them know, you know, like this is an area that I'm struggling with, like, and I'd like your feedback on how we could potentially move forward so I can show up better in the space. Also, in order to do that, you'd have to create one-on-one -on -one relationships with your team and be willing to know people outside of work in well, out of work under conditions they feel comfortable with. Because some people want to build those um, personal relationships. Some people do not, right? But at the end of the day, always remember, be professional. And another thing to do would be to pass work onto competent team members, as well as those that want to grow in the area. Because when you delegate tasks, that shows that you trust your team to get the job done. Um, and that shows that when you win, we win together, right? We win as a team, we lose as a team, but we also grow as a team and we work hard as a team. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the two things that are resonating with me, Erica, are definitely the thing that you just said right now about like we're a team, like the team mentality, I yeah. think is very important because there are people who lead teams who, I mean, I've, I can't speak for myself. I can speak for myself. <laughs> there are people who will leave team members high and dry, right. Or for, or let them figure out their own. And I think there's a difference from like letting someone learn the curve or like not being supported at, at all, right? And I think when you're managing teams, it's how do I make sure my team members know what they need to succeed in their role as well as create those checks and balances so we all succeed together. Because if we're succeeding together, we're that's good, but we might fail together and we need to know how to bounce back. Yeah, I remember when I first started I remember when I first started in a role at an institution and they said, oh, it's trial by fire here. I was like, you know, that sounds very scary. <laughs> very scary. Welcome to the baptism. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, and I, you know, and it's interesting because like we're, we're almost getting to the end of the, uh, the end of the academic year. And so to kind of wrap up and talk about everything that we've discussed today, I think it's one understanding of what makes a good supervisor and what makes a good supervisor is having the foundation. Make sure you're being communicative. Make sure that you are open to new ideas. Make sure that you see supervisees holistically so they're not just work products, they're human. Lead by example and value um, learning as and working as a team. Second, identify where top identify your supervision's approach, right? So once you have the foundation, once you have that beautiful cake made, what are, what's the glitter? What's the frosting that you're going to add to it, right? So is it is your approach focused on super um, professional development? Is your approach focused on financial literacy? Is it focused on the field of higher education student affairs? Is it focused on diversity, equity, inclusion? Whatever your approach is, identify that and don't pick an approach that you don't want to do, right? So if you don't like professional development, I'm going to tell you right now, don't make that your focus 
in meetings, if you're not going to come into that space, excited to talk about those things and own it as your supervision approach. Thirdly, we talked about the types of managers that you may experience from the micromanager who may want to control everything to the MIA manager who you can't, you don't know where they are, but then also where's Waldo, (laughs) where's Waldo Uh, or the middle manager who finds a balance. And I think most people should, if not always strive for the mid manager, finding the balance between the being able to encourage, to help, processes move along, but then also give autonomy in spaces. Um, And so if you were listening to those three different types of managers and you see yourself in one of those buckets that you don't want to be in, take the steps to move away from that bucket. Then take, if you are too controlling, find a way to be less controlling. And the first step is probably trust. Yeah. Lastly, as Erica also shared, um, I think any good supervisor is recognizing that we are human and that we're leading as humans. So that means we're not perfect. Oh, and when we make mistakes, own our mistakes and acknowledge your mistakes. Don't stay quiet and think no one saw. People probably saw. And so own your mistakes, be vulnerable and be transparent with your team. Let them know where you need support. Let them know where they can step up and be champions. A team will succeed together and fail together. And oftentimes than not, a manager can influence how your team can move forward or stay exactly where they are. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Our Backpack. We hope that you learned something this week. See you later. Peace.